I'm honoured and beyond blessed to announce that I will be continuing my podcasting future with the Move the Mound Back podcast program. Um, I want to thank my family and friends for all their support and encouragement across the journey. If you've seen texts, oh, sorry, Twitter uh, announcements like that, it means you are active on social media. It means you also probably follow some talented kids or colleges because it's recruiting season and there's just a plethora of people making announcements like that to signal to the world that they have found a college to go and play with. And because it's signing season, I thought we'd get Andrew Riddell, the uh, National Player Development Manager and the chap who handles... Uh, oh, assists a lot of Australian kids uh, find their way to the US um, into college. Andrew, welcome. Thanks for having me back on, mate. Didn't know if I was going to get the invite again, which is good. So glad to be back talking to you. Oh, one of our highest rating podcasts, mate. I had to uh, had to get the talent back on. Um, people are genuinely interested in this pathway, particularly, I think, as you outlined in the um, the last chat we had, that you know the trying to crack the professional ranks has become tougher. Uh, college has become more of an option for players. So I think uh, the numbers would suggest a lot of people listi- listened in um, seeking some advice and guidance. So I thought it might be an opportune time to catch up with you again and, and kind of pick apart, particularly the sort of signing season, as I alluded to before, what does that entail? And, and um, you know, what are kids going through um, to make a commitment to a college and why this time of the year. So so I'll, I'll probably kick it over to you. What is signing season? Yeah, obviously since the last time we spoke, um, you've obviously seen a lot of guys announcing that they are committed to a certain school. So what this means is they have had discussions with the coaching staff. The coaching staff has put forward a scholarship value, which each player is different. And from there, the player then decides to verbally commit to that program to say that they are willing to accept that scholarship offer and their intention is to go to that program. That recruiting season can happen anywhere from six months to multiple years before the start of their actual season. So at the moment, a lot of guys are verbally committing for August next year. Year, so August 2022, which is a lot of our Australian players that are in year 12 at the moment or have decided to take a year off because of COVID or they wanted to work or other reasons. And they are going to school next August, which is the start of the school year over there. So they have verbally committed to a program for next August. And what that means is from now until the day they can actually sign the paperwork and their contract, which is what's called a national letter of intent, you can sign that in November. So what that means is they verbally committed now until November. And then in November, they make it official by signing that national letter of intent. So you'll, it's probably less known in baseball but certainly happens and you hear about it in basketball like a 13 year old offered scholarship position at division one college that offer is a verbal offer right so that's the kid saying yeah, yeah, yeah i'll uh, i'll take that offer um but that doesn't really mean a great deal how does how does that work yeah so until you sign that national letter of intent it's all just handshake deals essentially um, yeah, you have seen kids 13, 14 years old come out and, and say they're committed to a school and then and four years later when they're 17 and they're in year 12 now, they decide there's better programs out there or better fits for me. So they decommit verbally and then end up signing with another school. So until you sign that national letter of intent, it's pretty much a handshake agreement I, I i agree to the scholarship offer and will be signing with you guys on signing day um and then you see the big hats handed out on tv kind of things over there in the u.s so a lot of our guys are verbally committed at the moment and multiple others at the moment have offers out that i'm working with so they have received offers from multiple schools and they're currently on zoom calls throughout the week with the coaching staff um, weighing up the different offers and scholarships that they are receiving and just trying to find the right fit for them. That's what recruiting season is about. That's what 
this whole process is, is about learning about the different programs in different locations and different conferences, etc., and then trying to find the right fit for you. So as you weigh up and you compare the, the pros and cons of each offer and each program, then you can really narrow down on whether the academics are right for you, whether the baseball program is right for you, whether you're going to get an opportunity on to play on the field straight away, your competition, so who, who are you up against on your own roster for a starting spot, all those different factors that go into committing to a certain school is what goes on now during this commitment period. And then in November, when signing day comes around, then they make it official by signing their national letter of intent. The um, So this is a bit I'm interested in. In the US, there is actual recruiting period. So one of the things that <clears throat> is a little bit frustrating is sort of December, January, where it's sort of peak baseball season down here. It's actually a non-recruiting phase. And correct me if I'm wrong here, which is often the case, but is it is a non-recruiting place for Division One schools, which means the schools can't send their assistant coaches out to recruit. So that obviously impacts, not that many colleges are throwing coaches on planes to send them to Australia to scout, but there are periods of time where um, schools can and can't be recruiting. Um, and then the reason you see this spate of sort of announcement in August, which is the start of the school year, is I'm guessing that sort of six-month-out period where schools are getting offers out to kids as quickly as they can to lock them down the minute they're able to start making verbal offers. Is that how this works? Yeah, there is definitely recruiting periods and what they're called dead periods. So there's, there's dead periods throughout the year that schools are not allowed to have, are not allowed to send their coaches out to look at players, essentially. With COVID, um, last year, that period was extended throughout the year. So it ended up being extended until May 31st at one point. Had a lot of college baseball coaches on Twitter that were complaining around the dead period and how long it had been since they've been able to go out and see players and things like that to be able to recruit them. So there was an extended dead period with COVID. And obviously, these dead periods are different from Division One, Division Two, and Junior College to Junior College as well. So... From that standpoint, yes, at the that higher level and the dead periods, um, not entirely sure on the exact date this year through COVID because it was extended. But there are certain parts of the year where they can't, they can answer your phone calls, except for, but they can't call you, for example. So there are certain circumstances that can happen. If you go to a camp on their campus, they can talk to you, but they can't reach out to you, for example. So there's little... Little things that happen throughout the year in the different periods. There's there's a recruiting period, a dead period, a cold period, and then you get the signing day, and then that's when it kind of all opens up. So from from that kind of um, way of looking at things throughout the year, the, the dates are important to, to know. If you send out emails to coaches and you're not getting any responses or something like that, they might be in a dead period, for example. So there's different dates to be aware of as well throughout the year. Or you're not very good and they're ignoring your email. Which can also happen. <laughs> um, so this is probably less applicable to Australians, although I'm sure you've seen some families who've done it. But in the US, you can take official visits uh, and non-official visits to campus. Have you seen many Australian kids sort of head over to take a look and do a bit of a tour? Or is that something that doesn't happen too often? Uh Pre-COVID time, yes, uh, we would normally obviously take every two years a Australian team to the Under-18s World Cup, and off the back of that, we would also then take the top 10 to 15 guys to the Arizona Fall Classic, which is run by MLB, who we have a great partnership and relationship with, and when we would go to that Fall Classic, for example, we had multiple guys that would then go on official college visits. Uh, you see, for example, Travis Bazana, who's now at Oregon State. He went on a few when we were in Arizona previously. Went to, went on a um, visit to Arizona State, Oregon State, a couple of schools down the West Coast. So it does happen. It happens more often when we're already over there in the U.S. Some some players and and families who may be financially better off and are able to go on campus visits by taking trips to the US are uh, more than welcome to be able to do that. I think a lot of it just happens when guys are already over there for tournaments and playing because of the extra cost of flights and things like that to jump over there for a visit. 
Travis Bazan is an interesting uh, one for baseball fans to to watch. He showed up, so he hasn't even played a college season, and he was the MVP of his summer ball uh, league, which is uh, pretty phenomenal. So uh, if you uh, if you're a baseball fan, I'd suggest bookmarking Oregon State because if he can keep that going, that'd be a pretty amazing story. Um, the other bit that um, I just wanted to dive into to a little bit deeper is around the verbal commitment side of things. So, you know, that's a school saying to you, we'd love you to come along here, come and play for us, and you say, yes, I'm going to do that. How does a player ensure that that is just locked in? Because I'm sure, you know, in this digital age, you're on phone calls or Zoom, you know, does the school officially say we are offering you a, a place? Or how does the verbal commitment work from the school and vice versa, the player back to the school? Because I'm, I'm sure there's situations where a player or a coach assumes that one of the others coming there or will attend and then all of a sudden the lines of communication weren't quite right and then things fall to pieces and then from a player's perspective are they having to chase then the sort of formal offer or how does that process work great question and it is happening at the moment there's a lot of misinformation going around um, from guys that are speaking with programs, may have already committed through through, through other um, businesses or third parties or something like that. They've, they've committed and then they are still trying to get recruited, for example, by other schools or they've verbally committed and then the coaching staff changes and now that verbal commitment means nothing because it's a new coaching staff. So then they have to go out and find another school, for example. So there are different ways that that verbal commitment can be altered essentially so if you verbally commit to a program and to a coaching staff that coach gets a better position and a better job and and moves on from that program that it's up to then the new coach to decide whether they honor that verbal commitment or not so we've had that happen recently with with a guy who was verbally committed coach left new coach came in couldn't get a response from the new coach for example so that now means that he has to try and get a new scholarship offer to a, to a new program and and essentially try and get the, the same value of scholarship that he was on at that school, which doesn't always happen. Now, you might be late, you might be late in the piece of another school's recruiting um, cycle and now you have to take a lower scholarship just because the other school had their coach leave. So that definitely happens as well. We have um, a lot of some some guys at the moment who may not have understood what being verbally committed was, so it wasn't really explained to them through whichever avenue they chose to go with. It wasn't explained very well to them what it meant to be verbally committed. So I've kind of been on phone calls now with a few guys who have reached out and said, "Hey, I chose to to go a different with somebody else, or chose to go a different way, and I verbally committed, but I didn't really know what it meant, and now I want to see what else is out there." So some Obviously, situations like that arise uh, through, I think, misinformation of what it means to be verbally committed. And normally when you are verbally committed to somewhere, I'm not actively then trying to help you get recruited to other programs. So if you decide that this scholarship offer works for me and I'm happy, my family's happy with the scholarship offer financially, we can cover it, then it's kind of the, it's kind of signifying that I'm not actively out recruiting guys and reaching out to coaches for guys that are already verbally committed somewhere. And then they, like you said, they have ha- received the scholarship offer, whether it be through email or Zoom call or something like that. They receive the offer. They read over the offer with their family. They decide that this, this works and we would love to say yes to this offer. They then get back in contact with the coach and say, I'd love to verbally commit. I'm, I'm all in with your program and this is my commitment to you so that when signing day comes around, I will be signing my national letter of intent with you. Now, baseball loves the unwritten rules. <clears throat> um, it is, once again, correct me if I'm wrong, but it is widely sort of accepted that once a player has accepted a verbal offer or has verbally committed that other schools stop recruiting them and technically the player should stop looking for offers is that still is that still happening or is that has it slackened off a little bit still definitely in place it's definitely a 
unwritten rule that once you're verbally committed somewhere that you're not still actively getting recruited by other programs. And a lot of college coaches also, when I say to somebody, oh, they're verbally committed, they kind of back away straight away as well. They don't want to be seen as coaching other players that another coach has already put in hard work for and has got them verbally committed. So once it's aware that somebody's verbally committed and um, they've, they've kind of made that public knowledge and things like that, then the active, I guess, recruitment of them kind of stops. You're correct, yes. And now we've obviously got some talented kids out here. What's the, you know, when would the verbal offers start coming in from coaches and how long can a kid sort of weigh or hold on to an offer before, you know, like you can't sit on it for six months? What What's sort of the acceptable term to say to a coach, look, I've got a couple of other things in, in the fire. You know, how long can a kid expect to wait until they have to make a decision? Yeah, it's a great question and probably one that's not not asked enough, I don't think, by a lot of our, our players. And I try and tell all of them the the each program is different with when they provide offers to players. So some schools started earlier and in giving out offers, obviously they try and lock down the best players possible first. So some guys were receiving offers in June, July, August. Um, and then I have other programs and other coaches at the moment who accept and some of them have called last week and said, hey, we're just going to start our 2022 class next week, so let me know what guys you have. So I think it just depends, honestly, on the program and when they start their recruitment process. And then also, if they're just recruiting guys in their local area first and then they kind of go wider or if they start wider and then get narrowed in. So there's a lot of different, a lot of different factors that go into it. And I think... I think the biggest, the best information that I can give to our guys is unless a coach says to you, hey, I need to know by this date or I need to know by Friday what your answer is or something like that and they what they call deadline you, unless they deadline you and say that they need an answer, you can still be out there weighing up your offers from other schools. That's part of the recruitment process is finding out what other offers and options are out there for you and finding the best fit for you. And that's my ultimate, I guess, goal is to find the right fit for everybody, everybody's own academic and athletic goals and their own development. And every, everybody is different in that. In some players who may be more academically gifted and smarter might end up going to a program that has their degree, for example, even though they might have a, a better scholarship offer to a different school, uh, they might feel that that academic fit is what they're looking for in college. And that's great. That's perfectly, that's perfectly okay. And then another player might be saying, I'm not as financially in a position financially where I can accept this offer. So they might be chasing a scholarship offer, um, for, for example, instead of the school with the academic needs. That's also okay. So, there's different needs that need to be catered to to different players. And part of the recruitment process is weighing up all of these factors and having discussions with multiple different schools, getting on Zoom calls with coaches from different programs to see what's going to best fit you. If you're a pitcher, you want to know what kind of throwing program I'm going to be on for the next two years of my life. What am I going to be doing in a weight room? How are you going to get me to the next level to get to a Division One? Well, if you just are out there committing to the first school that is out there or the first offer that you get, you don't really know what else is out there to have conversations with. And if that coach at that first program that offers you really wants you, they're not going to say to you, hey, I need an offer by tomorrow. That offer and and that kind of scholarship opportunity that you can have conversations with that coach about is still going to be there normally for at least a couple of weeks, um, if not definitely until the next week. So you can still have conversations with that coach, but you can also see what else is out there until that coaching staff says to you, I have to deadline you and I have to know by this date. Otherwise, I have to give you scholarship money to somebody else. You can kind of see what else is out there. I want to go down the rabbit hole. You said something that I've been meaning to chat with you about, but um, you said, oh, you know, the school's focused on the class of 2022 recruiting. So that's next year. I've heard of some schools that are two years ahead of where they're at. So, for example, they would have already done their recruiting for the class of 2023. Now, that means that's verbal offers, obviously. But that's how advanced, like particularly the popular programs where kids are clamouring to get there, they can fill up their spots. And the bit that 
it, it, we, we did touch on, on the last uh, podcast is the sort of notion of over-recruiting where they make more offers than they actually have positions available on uh, a team. <clears throat> Excuse me. But what is what I think a lot of people don't understand is obviously you can play college baseball for f- – you've got five years to effectively play four – and the coaches have to look at their roster and their makeup and then they have to understand, well, we might have some guys who are drafted so we could lose people. And they're always looking, it's like, who's our next shortstop? When do, when do we recruit that person in? When would they take over? And I think that's part of the challenge is there are schools that they may verbally offer you a position, but they've got three or four guys coming in at the same position and you're not always going to be able to know that. Um, and that's that adds to the complexity. You don't want to show up – well, sorry – it's probably preferential to an Australian kid to show up with a chance to play because the last thing you want to do is sit on the bench. Um, but, you know, really trying to understand what the likelihood is of you uh, getting a game, what's the depth of the roster. And there is some deadlines around, well, we'll be full. Our recruitment, we'll put a lid on it and then we'll move on to the following year. Um, so that that's just information that's hard for a player to, and a parent to track down and really – can throw a spanner in the works if a school is over-recruited and you show up and all of a sudden they're yanking scholarship offers and, uh, yeah, because as we talked about, a scholarship offer can be pulled. It's not like it's yours for the, your entire career. So how do you how do you advise players around that type of thing and the notion of over-recruiting and, and classes filling up and just that scramble, particularly now that there's more players with the COVID situation throwing additional eligibility into the mix? Uh, a lot to a lot to unpack there. The first part is the different programs recruiting earlier, like you touched on. Schools are already start, starting on 2023s, and I've already seen videos and recruiting videos of 24s and 25s, for example. So part of it is understanding the level that you're trying to get recruited by. So Division One and Division Two universities, so four year schools. Their recruitment happens a lot earlier than junior colleges, for example. So if you're somebody out of Australia where you've taken the right classes academically because you have to take 16 NCAA core courses throughout high school to even be eligible, and you're also at a baseball level high enough to go straight to a Division One or Division Two, then your recruitment starts a lot earlier than other players who are just looking at junior colleges. So... Yes, 2023s and 2024s will be recruited at the moment for Division One and Division Two players. And the 2022s that I was talking about before for next August are majority all of the kids that are going to junior colleges, which, to be honest with you, is about 90% of our kids because they either haven't taken the right electives or, or they're not at a baseball level just quite yet to start straight away at a Division One program, which is obviously difficult in itself and why a lot of players end up going to junior college for two years before transferring to a Division One or Division Two is so that they can play straight away. So that kind of leads into your next point of game time and development. I think personally is the number one factor that our kids should be chasing, right? If, you go, if you're going to a junior college, mum and dad are going to be spending thousands of money on flights and, and things like that to get you over there, let alone what they have to pay when you get to school and health insurance and everything else that covers the cost of being over there. If they're all paying that money and you're not even getting on the field, it's really not benefiting anybody. So my number one thing is helping guys or working with guys that are going to be able to get into programs in the US where they're actually going to be on the field and they're actually going to get a chance to develop, right? Because you're not going to get picked up by a Division One university by sitting in the dugout. just doesn't happen. So the, the ultimate goal being you're getting recruited to a program where they have seen your video, they've spoken with myself or a scout or somebody like that here in Australia, and they have said to them, hey, we think that you can come in and be our starting catcher or starting shortstop or whatever it may be, that is the opportunity that we should be chasing instead of the big glamorous schools where you might not get 50 at-bats in the next two years. That isn't going to help anybody. So they kind of work hand-in-hand with each other. Ultimately, when it comes down to the decision, money is always a factor and and the scholarship side of things is, is always is a big factor for, for families to get over there and to be in programs. 
the biggest thing that I always tell guys and, and parents over here is go somewhere where you're going to play. Go somewhere where you're wanted. Go somewhere where they're pushing you and calling you nonstop and really want you to be there and where you're going to be able to get on the field for the next few years to show the universities that, hey, I started as a freshman. I played as a first-year guy. Now I'm coming back from my second-year guy, a second-year player to, to dominate this conference, and then I'm going to go transfer to a university. That's what we're looking for, and that's why our guys who have done really well have, have gone, for example. Obviously, you know Robbie Glendening really well, went over to a junior college program, went straight away, started, performed well for two years. He ended up at Mizzou in the SEC in the best baseball conference in the country. And he gets drafted, and then he gets into Pro Bowl. If he had taken an offer out of junior college to maybe a, a huge program, top five program or something, and sat and didn't play for the first year or something, who knows what would have happened with his career. So it happens all over the place with guys of going into programs where maybe they're a catcher and there's three catchers that are returning from last year's, from last year's team. Well, now you're automatically the fourth catcher. So straight away, you're behind the A-ball with trying to get on the field because they're going to play the older guys who played in their first year or played as freshmen. So weighing up the scholarship offers is great, but also finding out where you are in the depth chart and where what your likelihood is of playing straight away or in your second year is the biggest kind of um, biggest factor that I always tell players and parents. Uh, so the last thing I want to sort of touch on on this before we get into the, the juicy stuff, um, not to say this isn't juicy, but we, we've got kids sort of committing now to leave next year. So they're basically then sitting in Australia for one more year before they go. And for the most part, and once I've said this about 12 times, so they correct me if I'm wrong, but for the most part, the kids who are committing have finished high school. So they're out of high school because we obviously finish in November, December, they sort of now have six months out, then they commit, and then they go away next to August. I always was always of the view that the quicker you get there, the better, because you know you'd start your college career, you're younger, that makes you potentially more draftable because everybody wants a, an asset that's younger, they've got more time to develop. And I've I have a view that you're probably going to get better in the US playing baseball every day than you do in Australia. And that's no disrespect to Australian high performance programs and Australian development, but it, it's just a fact, like it's the national pastime and, um, you know, the, you're just surrounded by baseball, you're immersed in baseball. But So what's your take on players sort of waiting another year before they go? Another great question. And I think it has become a bigger option due to COVID. So 2019, the Under-18 World Cup occurred and then I took – 12, 15 guys to, I met them in Arizona and they, we played in the Arizona Fall Classic and out of those, all of them, except maybe one or two, ended up either signing professionally or committing colleges and they should have gone last August. Now, due to COVID and not being able to get over there or the flights were so expensive or they didn't want to risk it during a pandemic, whatever it may be, I ended up staying another year and have just now gone this August, which is obviously completely fine as well. Your years of eligibility start once you get over there and, and, and play in games. So it didn't affect their eligibility in any way by taking a gap year or an extra year. It doesn't affect your four years of eligibility. You're, the only thing that it does affect, you're right, is that you're a year older for the draft and things like that. Clubs would much rather draft players younger means they get an extra year on the back end of their career and with their contract and things like that. So that has happened a lot more due to COVID this past year, but it also does happen when guys finish year 12 and they say, mum and dad, I need to go get a job and, and save up money to be able to afford to get over there. And guys decide to take that six months plus another year to go and get a job and, and things like that and save up money. And some of them might start uni here in Australia. We've had we've had kids that have finished high school in the in the November and have decided to start uni in the February or March. And halfway through their uni in the next year, they decide, oh, I want to go to college now. So some of them have started at uni and then they end up in the US, or they've decided to take another year to save up money. Or the other reason is some kids are 
too small. Some kids are just little and need to get in a weight room for the next year and a bit before they head over. So there isn't really a, it's not really a pox on spending another year here. It's just more around, like you said, the age of getting drafted and, and things like that. Because for college coaches, it doesn't matter. They just want the best players. If it takes you an extra year to put on some weight and, and get big enough to be able to play college baseball, for them, it doesn't really affect it because they're getting the best players available. It just matters when you get to the pro ball side of things. Mm. Okay. I wanted to move into, um, and I'm sure you see and hear this all the time, just some of the bad information that floats around recruitment of players. Um, there's there's a couple of layups here that I'd throw at you, but um, yeah, I'm really keen just to sort of pick your brain on and hope and hopefully iron out the truth and the myths here, but what what's some of the, the hottest takes you've heard being floated around that it probably is misinformation for young players? I think, I mean, one of the big ones is, I guess, mistelling, however you want to put it, lying or mistelling the truth around what your numbers are, for example. Stats. So putting up, putting up, putting up videos or sending out emails or something like that and saying that maybe you run a, a 6-4 instead of a 6-9, right? That's that's something that is going to get told out pretty quickly when you get over to the US. Right? If you say, if you're lying about your numbers or you say you throw 90 miles an hour and you get over there and you're 85, well, the coach is going to want to know why. And he's going to probably think that you're injured and he's going to shut you down because you've told him that you're 90 miles an hour, for example. Or if you say, or if somebody else puts up that you run a 6-4 and you don't run a 6-4 and you get over there and the coach is expecting a, a burner and somebody that can be a lead-off hitter and, and spark your offense and things like that, and you don't run a 6-4, well, now the coach is going to look at you and be like, I recruited you because of, of this, this, and this, and none of it's true. So now you have to prove to him that you can play and do some other things just to keep your, your scholarship for the next year. And I think another big misconception is you sign your scholarship offer or your national letter of intent, and then you're fine for the next two years, right? That national letter of intent is for one year. So you, you have to then perform throughout that, that year, both in the classroom, you have to get the grades, and you have to be able to pass classes and things like that. And you have to do the right things on the field for them to honor that scholarship for the year after. So when I went over, I played my first year. We had seven guys that got told they weren't coming back. So they played their first year over there. They didn't perform whether it be on the field or in the classroom. And now they have to try and find another school after one year. And it's difficult after you've been kicked off another team, essentially, to then be re-recruited by another program because the other program wants to know why you were kicked off the original team. So that's... Well, another, another huge factor of it is you're signing for a one-year contract, essentially, a one-year national order of intent. That's what you're signing. And then you have to do the right things. You've got to perform to be able to keep it for the year after. So it's not like Pro Bowl where you sign a five-year deal and you get paid and you get released or something like that. This is a one-year contract and you've got to perform. So that's probably one thing. That's probably two things there is the first one is lying in while we're in Australia is not telling the whole truth around our skill set and when we get over there showing up and it not matching up and then also understanding that it's only a one year deal that you're signing. I want to go back to the numbers because um, I did I did coach for one season at a junior college in the US and I probably would have kept doing it if I could have earned more than <clears throat> zero dollars um, and part of my favourite time was receiving, and it was this shows my age, VHS videos, most of them overlaid with the ESPN theme song of recruits or wannabe <laughs> recruits, and the, they'd put their numbers in their letter to you or email to you, and it would, you know, the thing that was we just scratched our head and laughed is you're supplying numbers that are either major league average or elite major league. So the best one's always the catch and pop to pop, where a kid's like, I average 1.79. You're like, well, that's... Yadier Molina doesn't dial that up. And then they do a video where they're clearly not timing from the right. So that just misleading numbers. And then the other one was, yeah, I'm consistently 90, 92. It was like, well, when we watch tape, you from time to time hit 90 to 92, but you consistently sit 87 to 88. And 
that's what it, that's what I think is what you mean when you show up to four ball and you're 87 88 and on a every every now and then a pitch hits 92 like that that is misleading information that it just puts you on the back foot and a coach is like what are you what are you doing you've just lied so um you know tr- trying to be wise about kind of understanding what the major league like if you're an elite if you're doing elite major league times there's either we're not scouting particularly well down here or there's something wrong because you'd be found if you were doing those times. And that's the bit that I kind of always shake my head at is just better to be honest and better to show projectability rather than misleading information. And that's where I think kids can, and coaches, like I've had coaches sort of say, oh yeah, this guy's 93. I'm like, he's 93 with a run up. That's not, but you don't often get to run up and pitch the ball in a game. So, you know, just coaches and players being honest and, and you're only going to hurt yourself if you fudge numbers. That's probably the, one of the biggest misnomers or biggest mistakes kids make. Yeah, I saw a video get put up on Twitter the other day. Tom House put up a video of uh, Yardi Molina throwing a one nine six in game to throw a runner out, and then you click on another video of a twenty twenty three recruit, and he says it's a one eighty five pop time. Well, you know what I mean. It doesn't really it doesn't really add up when Yardi's a one nine six, and we've got high school kids in year eleven or year twelve saying that they're a sub one five. So. Um, sub one eight five. So definitely, it does happen, and there are people out there that will kind of boost up numbers and and things like that to to try and get kids recruited to be able to then say that hey, I got this kid recruited pretty much, and to be able to put it up publicly. But the only thing that it's doing is affecting the kid because then the, the player gets over there and they're not what the numbers say, for example. And a the coach is never going to want to recruit again from. Australians in general, or be from that person, but also the kids on the back foot. If you if you show up and you're you're not the numbers that you said you are, now the coach is sitting there like, what are we doing? Like I recruited you for this reason and you're not this. So what are you? Why would I have recruited you? So and like you said, when the coaches look at videos and the numbers don't add up, it's the quickest way to not get a response from a coach. I'll tell you that much. The quickest response, the quickest way to not get an email back or get a reply is to say you're whatever numbers you are and then they watch the film of you and it doesn't add up um yeah, the quickest way to to not get a response from a coach what about the i've heard of a, a sort of couple of situations where programs have said to a player if you don't take this offer right now we're pulling it like is that is that coming from does are, are there colleges doing that and i know like i know towards the end of recruit recruiting season when places have started to dry up and you may be a bit of a fringy guy, they might have one spot and one scholarship. They'll just throw it out there and the first guy to take it, they'll give it to. And it's normally not a monster scholarship offer, but you know, do you see some sort of misinformation around, well, here's our, here's our offer. And if you don't take it, it's, it's no longer there. How, how, how often is that happening? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of misconceptions around that whole idea at the moment, because obviously we're a year out at the moment. And I would say, Throughout August, there was a lot of a lot of players committing, and it was a year, twelve months out from the next school year starting, which is really early. I don't think I've ever seen so many players commit so early, and I think part of it was a lot of that misinformation around, hey, you need to take the first scholarship offer you get. If you don't take it, they're not going to pull it. If you speak to other coaches, this coach will pull your scholarship offer. There was a whole lot of stuff going on that was being passed around that wasn't true at all. And to be honest with you, if that coach wants you and they've seen your video and they're impressed, they're not going to pull that scholarship offer anytime soon, especially in July or August or something like that. So you're right. It does happen in maybe the start of next year, they may have half a scholarship left and they may put it out there for three guys and whoever takes it first gets it. That that may happen. But this early on, and we're still a few months out from even signing day yet, co- players are still having conversations with multiple coaches and coaches are aware, are aware of that. Like I coaches message me all the time or say I'm trying to promote a player. I'll, I'll message a coach and say, hey, here's his video. And, and this is, this is his numbers and things like that. The first response that I get from the coach is, Oh, what other schools is he talking to? Well, they know that they're talking to schools because if they weren't any good and they weren't talking to anybody, that coach probably wouldn't want to recruit them either. They want to know that they're recruiting players that other schools are interested in because it shows them that they're recruiting the right people because they want to recruit players that other college coaches have scouted as well and are really interested too. So. 
the whole misconception around you have to take the first offer you get and you have to take it tomorrow or you have to take it by the end of the week or something like that. Like I said before, unless that coach puts a deadline on you, they're very aware that other coaches are actively recruiting you and you're very much in your own right to be able to have conversations with multiple programs and like I said, find the right fit for you. And I think that's the biggest point and probably the biggest misconception that's happened the last couple of months is guys aren't having as many conversations with multiple programs to see if there's better offers out there. And like I've said to multiple kids, that first offer that you get, it may be the best fit for you and the best offer you get. It might be. I'm not saying that it's not. I'm saying you're not going to know if it is or not until you go out and see what else is out there. The last one, this is my favourite one, is um, people reaching out to kids saying, hey, we'll film you and... and, um you know, you pay us X and we'll put uh, put your video up on Twitter, which is, I shake my head because any kid can make a film, particularly with phones nowadays. Like, is that prolific? Is, is that stuff happening? Because it's so easy to do it yourself for free, but people are out there charging and, and oftentimes they're just putting your video on Twitter. It's not like they're, you know, working their network of coaches. Like, are you seeing that and, and the kids need to avoid it? Yeah, there are obviously there'll be always people coming and going in in this kind of space. And I think it's our, my job is to obviously just stay professional throughout it all and to help kids as part of my job, obviously for free and and to do as much as I can to help players. Part of it is, uh, like you said, social media has become a recruiting tool. So Twitter obviously being the biggest social media in the U.S., there are a lot of coaches that are on Twitter that actively recruit players through videos that get put up on Twitter. So part of it is at the moment, and I just know, I know from being up here in, in Queensland, for example, I'll go out and video guys on a Sunday during their training session, or they just started live at bats, for example. So I'll go out and get film of their live at bats, sit at home, cut up the video, and then be able to either put it out on social media or send to coaches, right? That's, that's all, all for free of charge. So, there are, there are guys out there that may be charging money for this or they say they're going to run a showcase. They pull out a video camera, they stand there with a tripod and they get some video footage and they put it up on Twitter and then they're charging money for that. It can definitely be done free by yourself or through your high-performance coach. So the high-performance managers that we have here in Australia, very much on board with what we're doing, um, whether it be getting film for pro scouts who can't travel at the moment or getting film for to be able to then myself cut up and be able to put up on social media or send out to coaches and things like that. That's part of being in a high performance program. It's part of it's part of being in, in an Australian baseball pathway is all this stuff being done for free. And there shouldn't be any charges associated with sending videos out or putting videos up on Twitter or something like that. If there's guys in Australia who love Australian baseball and want to see baseballs in Australia succeed, should be being done for free. And parents should be saving as much money as they can to be able to spend on the flights or on, on what they have to pay for when they actually get overseas. So it does happen. Um, and I think the players in Australia are starting to, to understand the whole kind of process that goes through. So there's multiple accounts on, on Twitter, for example, that will retweet anything that you put up. So if you put up if you put up a video and you say this is my name this is my position and this is my numbers and you tag them in the tweet they will retweet it straight away as they retweet all of them and they have 40 40,000 50,000 followers on Twitter for example who are all baseball coaches so all the automatically yes you can send out emails to coaches yes we can reach out to ones that we may know personally but that's a, that's a huge recruiting tool that probably wasn't around, or I, I definitely know it wasn't around when I was coming through, um, and it's kind of taken off the last couple of years, is being able to get things retweeted for free to every college coach out there that follows these accounts. Now those coaches are scrolling through Twitter, and your video is on their timeline, and if your video is good enough, and like I said, how much first impressions matter in the last podcast that we did, if your first impression in that video is showcasing your skills at the very best, that, that video is going to catch coaches' eyes and they're going to message you like they do, like they message me straight away when I pull up a video of one of our players. And at the moment, we have multiple guys, six or seven guys at the moment who I've been able to do that with and reach out to personal contacts. And now they're fielding multiple offers from multiple different programs and they go through the process 
of probably the last month, month and a half. They've been on Zoom calls with coaches and things like that and weighing up the different offers that come in, finding the best fit for them like we spoke about. And that's all started from A, reaching out to coaches I know personally or B, putting it up on social media. Like I said, like and like you said, it's all for free. There shouldn't be anybody charging to for film or to put up videos on social media or to, to help out players in Australia. I just want to help out athletes in Australia and it shouldn't be of any charge. Yeah, I think what we might need to do is um, a bit of a how-to in terms of putting together your own video and then um, mm-hmm. obviously you sit there and ch- tidy it up and can cut it up. But um, there are some real key things like having a, a velocity or a radar inside the video just to verify that you threw it as hard as you said you did. And it would be pretty interesting or certainly useful if we could kind of work with you to put something together like that just so kids can – put the right information together and get it to you so you can get it out as quickly as possible. Um, I just wanted to finish up because I've had you for a little while here. One of the things we've talked about making a decision on the program that's best for you. And obviously academics is, um, you know, I would hope that most kids would go to college and would consider academics. Now I know some kids consider academics as in, I hope I can get through this and pass everything, but um, obviously you want to weigh up academics, but when it comes time to determining the right program for a kid and that, you know, weather comes into it and, and whether I'll play and whatnot, but how would, how does a kid determine whether or not the program is a good development program? Because it's often hard, you know, you might look at win loss record and a, a program might be middle of the pack, but um, you know, for example, we had a chap on last week who, built out the data analytics for the University of Iowa and, and they don't certainly don't jump out as this sort of or well, they didn't jump out as this college baseball powerhouse but they were leading the, the space in data analytics how does it how can a, a kid get a read on whether or not the school they might be interested in or might be considering is actually going to help them develop their skill set is there things to look for multiple different things to consider here in this space um, I think the well, the first, the first part that you can touch on is probably how many players are they moving on. So, for example, the development and the whole opportunity of going to, say, a junior college is to then get to a Division One or Division Two university where you can then get your bachelor's degree. So, uh, one of the things that I tell players to look for when they're looking and weighing up junior colleges is where have their alumni gone on to? So, where have they been able to move players on to? Which this is something that U.S. colleges kind of take pride in, and it's all over their website. Now, how many players they've moved on to different programs or signed professionally or things like that. So you'll see uh, on their website it might say alumni, players moved on. Hey, last year we moved on 15 players to Division One or Division Two programs. Or going back to Robbie Glendening's example, for example, he went to North Iowa Area Community College. They put up a tweet the other day. They had 13 guys signed Division One, another eight signed Division Two, and four more signed to NAIA. So they ended up having like 22 or 23 players move on to four-year programs. So that's ultimately the goal for players that are going to a junior college is A, to be able to get on the field, B, develop to a point where you can get recruited by Division One schools, and then C, going to a Division One program, going through the same process again, and going to a program where you're going to play. So, obviously, that's probably the the a big the biggest factor is is getting to the next level and getting your bachelor's degree. Um, another part of that is like oh, I just sorry before you sorry sorry just interrupt, but that sort of flow through. Um, most junior colleges will have that – that's their biggest recruiting asset, so they'll have that plastered all over their website, letting you know these progressions. So that's probably a key piece to look for. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. correct. It'll yeah. be all over their website, players moving on or alumni or yeah. something like that. Yeah. If they move players on, they'll be, they'll be broadcasting it to everyone. And then I think another another factor of it is, like you said, academics is, is a big part of it. So going somewhere where you can – Set your right foot forward in your degree. So if you're somebody who, at the moment, I'm working with players, say, for example, they're wanting to study engineering, but they're going to go to a junior college first to play for two years. So some of them are having conversations with what's called technical community colleges, which means they can start to take classes towards their engineering degree at a specified school like that before then transferring. Where if they go to a different program, 
a different school, for example, they might just have to take their basic associate's general education classes and may not be able to transfer as many credits towards their engineering degree to be able to then start their bachelor's engineering degree in a better um, space or more credits have already been taken in their first two years. So instead of being on the back foot when you get to university by not taking their engineering focused classes, they're going to go to a different school, maybe a tech school, and take those classes and help them graduate earlier. So that's another another way to also make make decisions as well is what your academic goals are. If, you, if you're somebody that don't, doesn't know what you want to study yet and you don't know what you want to get your bachelor's degree in, which is which is obviously fine for an 18 year old to not know what they want to do yet. Obviously, going to a program where you can just get a general associate's degree um, and general studies classes helps you to be able to just get your associate's degree and then when you're 20 or 21, be able to make a decision of what you really want to study and what you want to get your bachelor's degree in. So that's another factor of deciding which program and which fits the best. Um, obviously, the financial side of things is obviously huge. So if, if you're somebody who comes from a background where you do need financial help, then maybe chasing the best scholarship offer is what you end up doing, which is also fine as well. And then the last thing that we've probably harped on and touched on the most is is the opportunity. So I think the most I think there's an important thing that got put up yesterday. The old Arizona State coach Tracy Smith put up a tweet, and I just wanted to, I wanted to read this out and bring this on here. It says. I was thinking about this recently. Majority of kids and families pursue a scholarship. Money is nice, but my advice would be to pursue opportunity. A scholarship gets you on the roster, and an opportunity gets you in the lineup. That's ultimately where we're trying to get to is, is guys in Australia getting over to the US, getting in the lineup, and getting an opportunity to play, and understanding what their role is in that program um, and in that team, and what it's going to take for them to be able to impress A, their head coach, put them in the lineup, and then B, university coaches to be able to then get recruited again, and then C, MLB scouts to get drafted. And that's kind of the process that we're undertaking at the moment. Andrew, uh, it's been another deep dive into the college side of things, and uh, we really appreciate it. Um, So November's when it really gets serious, it might be worth checking in with you um, at the very latest uh, at that time. But once again, thanks for your expertise and thanks for everything you do for young players looking to hit college baseball. We'll, uh, we'll chat soon. Thanks for having me on, mate. Appreciate it.